This is Finding Founders, a podcast showcasing the vibrant entrepreneurial spirit of Los Angeles and my journey to find the founders responsible. I'm Samuel Donner, and today on the show, we talk to Kong Pham, founder of Simple Pickup and Jump Cut. Kong has never been traditional. In his schooling and his entrepreneurial ventures, he continuously breaks the mold set by the establishment. In this spirit, he ventures to disrupt one of the oldest institutions in America and the world, university education. First off, I think you're going to see a bifurcation of colleges. So on one side, you're going to have your Ivy Leagues. They're going to look exactly the same because their brand is just too good and is a good signal to employers. Everything underneath your like third tier school and below, 80% of the schools are just going to be obsolete because people are going to realize that those schools don't offer anything. You, you already see the downtrend in people attending colleges. Now the question is, what's going to replace that, right? And it's going to be companies like Jump Cut. From an early age, Kong's father made him realize the amazing privilege and opportunity that came with living in America. Well, first off, before I was even born, my dad was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. He came out, married my mom, had me, and when I was two years old, we essentially won like some kind of lottery to come to the U.S. Very few people who were fighting with the South got green cards to come to the U.S. That had a very big impact on my life because at an early age, my dad told me some horrific stories about his life and that made me feel like I should take advantage of the opportunity that I have. Kong's outside-of-the-box thinking is reflected in his early entrepreneurial endeavors. His impoverished background pushed him to reach out and experiment with new and sometimes sketchy methods of making money. Growing up, we were really poor. We lived in Section 8 housing, uh, government-funded, and I, I couldn't I couldn't afford video games or like Razor scooters when that was a thing. And so I had to learn from a very early age as well to make my own money. My friend was burning CDs for me, and he was charging me like a dollar. And I connected the dots of, well, why isn't he selling it to me for $5 or $7, right? And I was like, I could totally do this. So I teamed up with him to, to just download CDs from, I think at that time it was like MIRC or something like that. That was like the Napster of the time. And then we, we would just burn it onto a CD and I sold it to people. So I did this throughout my, my, my childhood. At one point, the school stopped selling candy. So everyone was pissed. And then I was like, this is an opportunity for me to make money. So I went to this like wholesale store and I bought a shit ton of candy, put it in these like plastic bags. And it was like I was dealing drugs. I would take it out in, in math class. Like, yo, you want some candy? Open a trench coat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kong continued to do these side hustles throughout middle school and high school, but never thought of himself as an entrepreneur. He was simply making money because he was poor and wanted video games. But in his senior year, a high school club would change his perception of himself and motivate him towards a life in business. In senior year of high school, I joined a club called Future Business Leaders of America. I fell in love with it. Right? I fell in love with kind of the people that thought about business all the time. All these people said like, maybe I want to start my own business. And that got me thinking, I really want to do that too. And I took intro to business in uh, my senior year and I loved it. We had to come up with a product, a business plan for it. How are you going to market it? And my product was a Nifoon. Nice spoon. Oh, an iteration on the spork. And I think that's really when the word entrepreneur kind of came to mind. So in the end, I decided to go to business school. Kong quickly realized that business school 
was not for him and went back to his childhood roots of exploring some sketchy ways of making money. Business school was just the worst thing ever. You would learn these stupid topics that were just not useful at all in the real world. You didn't get any real life experience. So how quickly did you realize that? Very quickly, within the first year. So I actually tried to drop out three times throughout my college career. One time was to play poker professionally. Poker? Yeah, yeah, I played in high school a lot, I lost a lot of money, but you're talking about like 20 bucks here and there. Once I started getting into college, I started understanding the mathematics behind poker. What allowed you to understand the mathematics? Where are you sourcing this information from? So there's a forum called 2 plus 2. It's a really big poker forum. I was on there a lot and people were talking about strategy. Right. Um, so I read on how to think about things, you know, how to actually play the game and started becoming pretty good at it. Was this your first channel where you delved into the internet as a learning resource? Yeah, totally. I really embraced the internet because I wasn't learning anything at school. Um, at one point, I started hearing about people who were playing professionally. I played around with the idea for a while, and um, I think one summer, I decided to just go for it um, because I was playing all summer and then the school year came and I was like, well, fuck this. Why would I not continue playing poker? So I made a decent amount of money on poker, probably around 40 to 50K. The, the, the problem is I didn't know how to manage my bankroll. Um, so when I made the money, I would cash out and go spend it, right? I'm like a stupid college kid. What, what would you spend it on? What were stupid like... shit, man. Like, I don't know, like designer jeans or... <laughs> <laughs> the classic college uh, spending spree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, I, I mismanaged my money. Did you nope. realize you were mismanaging your money while you were mismanaging it? No. No. So with poker, there's there's swings, right? Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But, you know, if you play well over the course of like six months or a year, you're going to be up. Oh, so when you had your downswing. Exactly. So when I had my downswing, now I'm like out of money. Out of money, Kong returned to school, but he returned with a new perspective. Through learning poker, Kong realized that there was a wealth of knowledge on the Internet that he could tap into. So naturally, he used the most powerful communication tool ever created by man to get laid. When I was uh, just getting into college, this book called The Game by Neil Strauss became a big thing. And it talked about how to meet women on the street or at a bar and get them to be attracted to you. That kind of spurred like a whole movement of guys trying to learn how to get laid essentially <laughs> um, and I was part of that. I was very introverted, I was very shy and it was hard for me to meet people and so you know I went on this journey to essentially try to improve myself. It's just kind of hard. It's like think about going out by yourself to a bar and then like saying okay I'm going to talk to like five women tonight so I wanted somebody to come out and do it with me and so I made a post on this forum and Jesse was one of the two people who responded and said yeah let's meet up. So we met up and you know, for the next few years, we went on this journey together of trying to go out and improve our social lives. After bonding over pickup culture, Jesse and Kong also found that they shared a love of entrepreneurship. They were constantly searching for opportunities and coming up with new entrepreneurial endeavors. However, not all of them were especially exciting. We were selling textbooks. It was like we would buy textbooks for cheap in the summer and then sell it the next the next quarter yeah we made like a few grand off of it but it was just too much manual labor we're just like well we're literally gonna have to hire people and like make this a whole thing it's just not 
it's not scalable. And like, it just wasn't exciting enough to continue. Yeah, and it wasn't exciting. It's like, I don't want to sell textbooks. <laughs> it wasn't until a school project where the two found an idea that they could and wanted to pursue. In my junior year, I made a video documentary about how Asian men are perceived in media and also in kind of like the public eye. You know, we're generally perceived as being weak, passive, introverted, and that translated into the dating world. Right. So Asian men generally date within Asian women or Asian men if you're gay. So I made this video and I put it up on YouTube, not thinking anything of it. You know, showed it to my professor, got, I think, like a B plus on it. And then literally a year later in my senior year, I looked up a video and it all of a sudden had like 60,000 views. Oh my God. And I was like, how the hell did that happen? I started thinking about this and I was like, okay, well now how can I monetize this, right? And so YouTube was just came out with their partner program where you can get paid to make videos because they put advertisements on your thing. I kind of, you know, again, connected the dots here and said, well, what if we just did this for a living? And so my friends Jesse and I decided, let's start our own YouTube channel. Kong and Jesse's new entrepreneurial venture was to create a YouTube channel. But initially, they struggled finding a central theme for their content. But soon enough, they connected the dots. At one point, we'd been doing it for, you know, five, six years. And we saw that there were a lot of guys capitalizing on this trend of, you know, dating coaches. And so we decided, well, why can't we do it? We were good enough to get people to be excited about doing it, to, to motivate people into thinking like, this isn't as hard as you think. We decided to combine that with starting a YouTube channel and you know that's how we came up with Simple Pickup. Now, all Kong and Jesse had to do was come up with some compelling content, which at first didn't come naturally. We just brainstormed a bunch of ideas. We came up with trying to get girls' phone numbers with various challenges. So the first one that we filmed was like, we tried to get phone numbers while we had like floss stuck in our teeth or something stuck in our teeth. Yeah. Um, it didn't turn out well, it was, too, it was really bad. It was really bad and we just scrapped that whole video. And then um, the big hit that we had was using memes as pickup lines. And that just blew up. It was our biggest video and it got a million views, I think, within like two days. And again, it just comes back to like connecting dots, right? We thought, okay, what's going viral right now on YouTube? Okay, memes. Memes are like a big thing on the internet. So why don't we use memes and combine it with the world of, of pickup? That was our third video. That was your third video? Yeah, yeah, that was our third yeah, video. Kong and Jesse quickly realized that Simple Pickup was an idea that could go somewhere. And they wanted to commit to this idea fully to see where it could go. You were still in school at this point? Yeah. At what point were you like, let's not do this school thing anymore? I think after our like fifth or sixth video, like right after the summer. And so we decided let's just not go back to school. You were ready, but was your family ready? Like what, what did they think of this? I didn't tell them until like way later. Like how much later? Probably like four years later. Wait, four years <laughs> yeah. later? So I think my whole family thought I graduated. Did you stage your graduation? How did you convince them? No, I just told them like, I don't want to walk for my graduation. They're like, okay, that's weird. <laughs> and then, yeah, four years later, once I started making money, I was like, okay, well, I didn't graduate. <laughs> time to break the news. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. What, what was their reaction when you said that? They didn't really care because I was making money at the time. <laughs> yeah, okay. What were the next steps that got the ball rolling and like started the avalanche? After the third video hit, we were like, okay, we've come up with a formula. We would just say, what's really big on YouTube or on, on the internet right now? And then we would take that and then just make it pickup lines. <laughs> and so we we're like, let's, let's just do this. And it was very easy to come up with the next uh, few videos and just get the ball rolling. I saw a video and said something about like you becoming a millionaire at 24. Was, it, <laughs> was this from Simple Pickup? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
how did that milestone change your perception of yourself? To be honest, it didn't. I think what changed my perception of myself is when we started m making enough money to live on our own. <laughs> that, that was finally the time when I said, okay, now I'm like independent. I don't need to ask my parents for money anymore. You know, I felt very proud. I felt like I was on top of the world that I could do anything. Once I got to the million milestone, it didn't really change that much. So it was Not more about the independence rather than the figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah that exactly. Makes, that makes sense, that makes total yeah. sense. Through a simple pickup, Kong was set. He had more money than he had ever seen in his life. He was a leader in viral video content creation. Although Simple Pickup had achieved so much success, Kong felt that the project had stagnated. He wanted to move on to bigger, better, and more meaningful projects. We just realized that making people laugh, making entertaining videos is fun, but it started getting redundant because we were kind of doing the same thing every single week. And we started to brainstorm again because we wanted to do something that was bigger and more impactful. After about six months of still running Simple Pickup, but like doing some research on the side, we, we looked at the world of education and we saw that it was super, super boring. People were just recording lectures and then that was the whole course. Coming from a viral video background, we said, this is not how you make entertaining content. Like, why does education have to be super boring and mundane like this? I hated my school, right? The, the entrepreneurs who have the highest chance of success are the ones who are trying to solve a problem that they've had in their life. So the problem for me was I wanted to go to school to learn how to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to learn the world of business and I didn't learn shit. You know, I'm solving my own problem. Like I wish that I had that when I was in school and now I'm creating that for the people who are like young me's who are wanting to get into the world of business and marketing and entrepreneurship, but the school just isn't providing them the education to do that. More on how Kong would change education after the break. Hey, it's Sam. And Adrian. The guys behind this podcast you're listening to right now. Mother's Day is around the corner. May 12th, just so you know. And we were thinking, when's the last time you called your mom? You know, she birthed you at the very least. And for most people, raised you. She deserves a call, right? But you know, sometimes it's hard just calling right out of the blue. Well, we have the solution for you. Tell her about our podcast, Finding Founders, and rekindle that loving relationship with your mom. To show you how easy it is, we went around UCLA to tell people to, you know, call their mom. When's the last time you called your mom? Probably like a month ago. Uh, a month ago? Yeah. So, do you want to call her right now? I'm kind of busy. Mother's Day is coming up, man. I I'm going to get her something now. I think she would appreciate a phone call from you more than anything else. Okay. Yeah? Yeah, I Want to give her a call? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Hello. Hey, Mom. Hi. How you doing? Good. What's wrong? Oh, nothing's wrong. It's just because this guy on Bruinwalk, he's doing a podcast. I think it's about, what, entrepreneurs and things like that. Finding founders. And he reminded me that I hadn't called my mom in a little while, so I just wanted to see how you're doing. Oh, So, make your mom's day and tell her about finding founders. And now, back to Kong. This transition to a business in the education space would require a restructuring of the company persona. They couldn't be as outwardly facing sophomoric as they were with Simple Pickup. They had to curate a new company culture of professionalism. You have this idea for a new way to educate people and you're going from these funny videos and now you're like creating a more traditional company. Did you have to change your outward persona for that new company at all? Not really. I didn't have to change my outward persona. 
but I did have to change kind of like the company persona, if that makes sense. Simple Pickup was this thing where it's like, okay, immature kids make these jokes about sex and death and whatever it is, right? Trying to be really edgy. And now our company can't really do that anymore. However, I myself still do that. Um, so I just put out an ad that did really well where we had this guy dying. Terry over there was like crying and then he flatlines, right? He goes, and then I come into the scene and I go, don't feel sad for him. His life fucking sucked. <laughs> and it goes all the way into like, he worked a mediocre job, wasn't passionate about what he did. So you should go buy Jump Cut to avoid living like this, basically. I still find myself being that guy that I was before. But with that said, you know, Jump Cut as a whole, because we want to become a college, we can't do that 24 seven. I think there's like bits and pieces that we can do that here and there, but the brand as a whole has to be legitimate. It has to be reputable and it has to be something that people will trust in as an education company. Wanting to show maturity and create a reputation of collegiate professionalism, Kong's first attempt in revamping education was to partner with the very institution that he wanted to disrupt. Our whole thing was we're going to help colleges use a flipped classroom model, which is students watch the lecture at home and then they go in class to do group work where they need collaboration and help from the professor. Originally, that was the plan that we had in mind, but we kind of stumbled upon this other one. Now we're trying to just reinvent everything and do it ourselves. In order to reinvent higher education, Kong needed to take what he learned from Simple Pickup and apply it to Jump Cut. But not everything carried over to this new company. So right now we're spending about, you know, $500,000 on ads every single month. These ads, they're very entertaining. They're very snappy. They're very short and they tell you what the product is. It's not like an ad that you see on ABC where it's like, check out this new car. It's so luxurious, whatever. Um, these are ads that actually speak to people that actually make them feel like a human being. And it's like content that they watch to be entertained. So that is what carried over. We use our skills in making viral videos to now make really entertaining courses and also really great ads too. I think what was left behind is um, kind of this like dopamine rush of being able to pump out a video every week and feeling the benefits of it. Um, what we're doing now, you know, it takes about six to nine months to create a course. Wow. Yeah. And so you don't see the results of that until nine months later, maybe a year later. So it's more of a long-term game. It's very fulfilling in some ways, but I do miss the rush you get by pumping out a video every week, seeing what people are commenting, seeing news publications pick it up. Does any part of you want to return to that at some point? Probably eventually. It, it would be for Jump Cut, but not in the foreseeable future. Like all great ventures, Jump Cut had its fair share of problems. Kong realized that making engaging course content alone was not enough to modernize education. Something more needed to be done. It seems like you have aspirations to turn this into the university of the modern era. Did you have that mission statement when you started? When we started, it was just like make courses that are more engaging. As we got deeper and deeper into it, we realized that the problem was much bigger than that. We thought we're going to make these great courses that are really fun to watch. It's going to teach you really good stuff and we're going to change the world. It's not really how it plays out. A bunch of other problems kind of came up. We solved that problem of getting people to actually finish courses. How did you solve that problem? So one is the writing. Two is adding B-roll, adding music, good cinematography, motion graphics. So kind of like the educational stuff that you see on YouTube, we just made that into a full course. Right. Yeah. Most 
online courses average 10 to 15% completion rate. Ours is 60 plus. And what we realize is, okay, people are actually finishing this course, but now there's another problem, right? When we survey people, most people didn't even put it into practice in real life. They went through the course, they did the assignments, but one of our courses teaching people how to make viral YouTube videos. So they didn't even start their channel yet, like 80% of people. That's when we said, we can't just make courses. If we wanna make an impact on the world, we actually have to create a system that allows people to one, finish the courses, two, actually put it into practice and continue doing that, and then three, figuring out a way for them to actually succeed after that too. Two years into reinventing college, Jesse Kong's college friend and co-founder left JumpCut. At JumpCut and uh, at Simple Pickup, you had been working with Jesse, and I understand like she's no longer part of the company. How was it for you having a co-founder not be part of something you created together? So I already dealt with this back when we were doing Simple Pickup. We had a third co-founder, Jason, who we were just kind of butting heads all the time and we weren't really getting along and nobody was really happy. So we had to let him go. That was probably one of the hardest things I had to do in my life. When Jesse left, I was kind of already prepared for that mentally. We didn't let him go. Um, he decided to leave because he wanted to travel the world and just kind of do fun projects on the side. Uh, he didn't want to commit like 10 years to reinventing college. So it, 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 was, it was definitely sad to see him go, but um, I think it was, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't the end of the world. Like someone who is creating a business, how can you avoid those pitfalls of co-founders growing apart or, or uh, heading in different directions? You have this vision of a 10-year goal. How do you keep that inspiration and that motivation going with the other people that started with you? Um, I mean, I, I think you can't. I think it's just, it, it's an intrinsic thing. I think at the beginning, you have to discuss with your co-founders why it is you're doing this, right? So Jesse wanted to do it because it was fun and he wanted a way to make money. Yeah. I wanted to do it because I actually wanted to have impact on society. We didn't talk about this until, you know, two years into Jump Cut. We should have talked about it at the very beginning. What makes you want to have an impact? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I think it's just, it's the same reason that people turn to religion or family or it's mainly purpose like you just want to feel like your life is not pointless you want to feel like you've lived for something there's a, some type of fulfillment in being able to leave an impact once you die in the past five years since founding jump cut kong has experienced lots of change I think this change is good. It shows a maturation of his ideas, his lifestyle, and his purpose. So do you think you've traded the short dopamine rush of that early business with simple pickup for fulfillment that's like maybe like more sustainable? The trade-off of like the short dopamine rush versus like long-term? Yeah, because yeah, I feel like that's not something that affects your simply your day-to-day -day and like your, your surface level actions. That seems like a complete turnaround of a deeper personality trait that like shapes how you live your life. I'm definitely a lot happier because this is my true calling. You know, it's like asking somebody who used to eat a lot of junk food, like, man, how do you feel eating healthy food now? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you miss the junk food, but like, you just feel so much better now that you're healthier. I feel healthier in the sense that I'm more mentally fulfilled and we're working toward this really big goal that is gonna have a really great impact on how people learn and how people get into the job force. What daily habits do you have that you think define your success? I think just around 
surrounding yourself with really, really great people. The biggest mistake I've made in the past was to hire people just because we needed them and take anybody. It's just not sustainable. It's, it's not doable. You have to be honest with yourself and say, look, this person isn't world class. And if they're not world class, then you shouldn't be working with them. So when I say I'm lazy, I definitely am in, in a lot of ways. But my co-founder, Peter, who's our COO, is like completely the opposite. He went to an Ivy League school, got super good grades, you know, works for a nonprofit, worked at Bain as a consultant and working like 80 <laughs> hours a week. So we complement each other really well. How have you seen the startup scene change for you and in general? For me, it's thinking more long-term instead of short-term. With simple pickup, it was just like, how can we improve our numbers next month? How can we improve our video next week? Now it's like, how can we actually make a difference in five years? For um, just in general, there's this idea that if you're a startup, you have to raise money, you have to grow really fast, and you're never going to turn a profit until like 10 years later, which for some companies that makes sense, but you can literally just start making money right off the bat. A lot of these direct-to-consumer companies are popping up like Hims, Flex, and all of these companies are cash flow positive. I think the landscape has changed in the sense that you can succeed right off the bat with very little money at all. And is that what you did with Jumpkit? What was the raising process for you? We raised about $1.8 million and we were burning cash for the first year. At one point we said, okay, well, we have about 12 months of runway left. So we decided, okay, let's try to become profitable. And it was a lot easier than we thought. Making ads and utilizing Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. Now that we basically make our entire revenue from just running advertisements. Now we're raising money from a position of strength rather than like, hey, we only have 12 months to live. Please give us your money. <laughs> Do you think there is a need to grow faster to survive? because I've seen like a lot of like interesting education startups popping up. Uh, one that comes to mind is Lambda School. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, super interesting. They're great. Yeah, super interesting um, business model. Do you feel a need to grow to become a leader in that space early? I don't, I don't think so. The thing with education is it's not like Airbnb or Uber where it's like winner takes all, right? We, even with Uber, it's not winner take all. Uh, Lyft is still a very, very big competitor. With education, I think in the future, what you're going to see is, I think you're gonna see a bifurcation of like colleges. So on one side, you're gonna have your Ivy Leagues, like Harvard, Yale, Stanford, all that stuff, they're gonna look exactly the same because their brand is just too good and it's a good signal to employers, right? Everything underneath your like third tier school and below, you know, your Cal State Fullertons, um, your community colleges, like 80% of the schools are just gonna be obsolete because people are gonna realize that those schools don't offer anything. Like the median salary coming out of Cal State Fullerton, I believe, is $36,000. So it's like a little bit, a tiny bit more than the median income of the, the nation, right? Yeah, and, and, you're, and you're spending so much money. So people are gonna like, you, you already see the downtrend in people attending colleges. Now the question is, what's gonna replace that, right? And it's gonna be companies like JumpCut. It's gonna be companies like uh, Alt School. It's gonna be companies like Lambda School. Going back to your question, is there a need to grow really fast? Uh, yes, in the sense that I think we want this change in society like immediately because you know I think the 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 current college system is extremely corrupt and fucking up students yeah, um, and their bank like, accounts yeah. um, but in terms of like do you need to grow faster to get rid of the competition no this is not going to be a winner take all thing I think there's going to be a ton of really great companies and schools that teach people different skills number 1 and then number 2 I think people are going to continue learning after they work, right? People are going to work in marketing and say, hey, I wanna learn coding and go to Lambda school. And then after they do that, hey, I wanna learn some other languages and take some classes on Pluralsight. Um, so there's it kind of- It seems like you're increasing the lifetime value of a user 
by offering beyond just the four-year college. Like you could have someone that is using your service for their entire life. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's what higher education should be. Who made up this rule that when you go to college, you learn for four years and then like you never learn again. <laughs> that's so stupid. I think to be fulfilled, you have to continue learning your whole life. And our college system doesn't really allow that, right? You, it's four years, you graduate and then they're like, bye, fuck off. Or maybe like <laughs> donate money to us, please, yeah. afterward. But I think in the, in the future, what you're gonna see is that um, instead of spending four years, people spend three months, six months learning something. They go work, then they come back to, to, to learn more. They go work. They come back to learn more. They go work. And this cycle just keeps on happening. Kong argues that growth and change are an inescapable aspect of starting your own company. And he favors action over perfection. What advice would you give the young entrepreneur who has an inkling of an idea um, but not sure if they should really commit to it? There's there's a lot of commitment that, go, that goes on starting a new business. Uh, and usually there's uh, some sort of leap that has to be done that you know either going from uh, college to just like you know starting this business or leaving your job to start this business what advice would you give to someone in that position start it now and continue iterating on it what you think your business is going to be it's going to completely change as you start doing it once you launch it you're going to be like okay well people fucking hate like half of my product and so i gotta change it i gotta change it and you keep iterating on it until you get it right so you can't come out of the gates making it perfect you just have to accept that it's gonna suck for the first three to six months or even longer and eventually i'm gonna get it so my advice is start it now and continue iterating on it that was Kong Pham, founder of Simple Pickup and Jump Cut. His movement towards redefining the way we educate ourselves inspired me. I empathized with his dissatisfaction of his business school education because it is something that I have felt throughout my engineering education at UCLA. Constantly, I felt I was learning more from Khan Academy and YouTube than my professors. I saw myself paying for a piece of paper and not the opportunity to learn anything. Today's universities reflect an ancient world where information was sequestered and centralized at universities. Back in the 50s, university was one of the only places that you could source information from the brightest minds and expose yourself to ideologies from around the world. Now, you can get the same level of interaction and exposure by connecting to the nearest Wi-Fi hotspot. Kong is building the future of education, and I say, it's about damn time.